So today we are finishing up our series, our sermon series, Conflict and Peacemaking. And in this series, we have uh, loosely followed Ken Sandy and uh, his approach to, to peacemaking. He's uh, a lawyer who's dealt a lot in, in peacemaking, and he breaks it down into four steps from the scriptures. Glorify God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore and go and be reconciled. So last week we looked at gently restore, and this week we're going to finish up with go and be reconciled. Now, I hope, uh, last week I gave the challenge to think of a name, a a person, an individual that you have experienced conflict with or are experiencing conflict with, and then try to uh, imagine how you would use these steps uh, to bring healing to that relationship. So making the the intentional decision, I'm, I'm going to seek to glorify God with this conflict, with this relationship. I'm going to examine my own role in the conflict. I'm going to get the log out of my own eye. And then last week we looked at gently restore. How can I go to them and have a conversation? How, how can I determine if I need to have that conversation? And then how can I go and have a conversation in a God-honoring way? Now this week... Uh, puts forth the idea of, well, what if that works? <laughs> what if we do it the way God intends and we go through the, the restoration process, the correction process, and we get to the end and we've had a conversation and we, we say our apologies and we work it out. Now, now what happens? Do we want the relationship to continue in, a, in an awkward kind of tension? Do we want to just be best friends, like how should we go forward in a God-honoring way? So I, I hope today we'll give you an idea of how should we treat the person we were in conflict with after conflict, kind of life after conflict, life lived in forgiveness. So we're going to look at that today, and we're going to do that by asking two questions. What is reconciliation with God, and what is reconciliation with Others, Because we believe you have to experience reconciliation with God first before you can truly experience it with others. But before we do that, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, thank you for the sermon series. Uh, thank you that we're wrapping it up, and thank you for those things that we have learned, the things that I have learned, and the, the things that, that each of uh, your people here at this church has learned, and how they're applying it to their lives. And I pray that we truly would be a peacemaking people, that we would be a peacemaking church, that we would not do it in our own power, but that we would do it through the power of Christ Jesus, and how he has won peace for us through his death and resurrection. It's in his name we pray, amen. So we believe from the scriptures that we really do have to experience peace with God before we can truly experience peace with others. So I want us to, again, look at from our passage, what is reconciliation with God? Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, it uses the word reconciliation multiple times. It uses it about five times here and then more times throughout the rest of the New Testament. Now, In ancient Greece, this word for reconciliation was used, but it was never used in a religious sense. It was always used between like two parties, perhaps, that were suing each other or in some sort of conflict. It wasn't used to describe the relationship between God and people. So the first time the word reconciliation is is, uh, used in such a clear manner to describe that is really in the New Testament. There's some other areas, but this is the first like blossoming of that, uh, that, that, 
that idea that we as humans can be reconciled in our relationship to God. Now, last week, I defined reconciliation as just making peace. So making peace between enemies. And this, this implies then that there is unrest, that there is unpeace, that there is war, that there is a break in relationship, and that the two parties, God and us, are actually at odds, that we are viewing each other in a, um, that, that we're not on the same team. This state started in Genesis. We went through a sermon series on Genesis last summer. It starts in uh, the first couple chapters, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, the very first people, they sin against God. They say, God, I don't trust you. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do life your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. And in so doing, they break the relationship with God. But even more than that, humanity enters a state of war with God. We become God's enemies because we have introduced sin. We have introduced imperfection into his beautiful, wonderful, glorious creation. And in fact, we actually deserve to be punished for that sin. So what is reconciliation then? Reconciliation with God is the removal of that punishment. Reconciliation with God is the removal of God's wrath through Christ Jesus. Now, like it or not, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we fell into this fallen state, this, this, this sinful humanity, and you and I, we choose to sin every day, and because of that, we deserve God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment. Now, wrath is not a word we use very commonly. It's not nice to think, wow, I, I deserve God's wrath because of my sin, that's not, a, that's not a pleasant thought. No one likes to think about that, do we? But if we read the scriptures, it becomes clear to us that we deserve God's judgment, and it's because God is so holy. Now, in my, my personal devotions, I've been reading, uh, I just started the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 6 is a, is a wonderful, amazing passage. With Isaiah in the Old Testament, he's this prophet. And he has this vision of God. He has the vision of the throne room of God. And he sees God on this throne. And God is surrounded by seraphim, which is a fancy word for angels. And they have six wings. They have two that fly, two that cover their face, and two that cover their feet. And they chant, uh, it says uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's amazing. They're, they're just declaring how holy and how pure and how innocent and how good God is. And, and these are sinless beings. Like the, these are not fallen angels. These are pure angels. And yet God is so holy, even though they don't have sin, they still have to cover their faces in God's very presence. That's how holy God is. And it even says that they cover their feet, which reminds us of Exodus chapter 3, where Moses was stepping on holy ground and he had to, to deal with the uncleanliness of his feet. And when Isaiah sees God, when he sees this vision, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I serve a people that have unclean lips. We're sinful. We, just, we deserve to be destroyed. And an angel comes down and gives him a coal from the altar 
God, God sanctifies him so he can be in God's presence. See, humans, we can't survive in God's presence because of sin, because we broke creation and we deserve punishment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve condemnation. But the good news, the gospel, what we believe as Christians is that God provides a pathway forward. And he does it through Christ. He provides reconciliation through Jesus. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So we're saved from God's wrath, from this condemnation, through Jesus. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we now be saved through his life? See, God took all that wrath all that anger, and he poured it out on his son. He poured it out on Jesus. Now, Jesus is also God. God took the wrath that we deserve. That's the gospel, and that's what the cross is all about. Yes, the cross is about just forgiveness of sins, but ultimately, it is God pouring out his own wrath on his son, Christ Jesus. This is why on the cross, Christ calls, calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because Jesus has been abandoned by God. He has been forsaken by God so that you and so that I can cry out, my God, my God, you have not forsaken me. That is the gospel. That is what we believe as Christians. And our passage speaks of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Verse 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So reconciliation is the removal of God's wrath through Christ, but it's more than that. It's not just a removal, it's also a bestowal, a a gift, a, a giving. Recently looked at our wedding pictures, Monica and my, uh, our, we- our wedding photos, and our photographer, he called his business give and take photography, or give and take pictures, something like the, that, along those lines. And the, and the words give and take just stick out into my mind because this is what the gospel is. This is what reconciliation is. It's a, it's a taking away, it's a taking away of God's wrath, but it's also a giving, a gifting of Something. So what is the gift that we get as part of reconciliation? Well, it's friendship. It's the gift of God's friendship, and it's through forgiveness. So God just doesn't remove his, his wrath and get out of there and, and walk away and kind of leave us in this, this you know, clean state, like, like we're negative a million. He doesn't get us back to zero and then walk away. He gives us himself. He brings us to a positive a million, positive a billion. He gives us friendship. Verse 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And here's forgiveness. Not counting people's sins against them. So what is to forgive? To forgive is not to hold someone's wrongdoings against them. To not hold someone's sins 
against them. You hurt me, well, I'm not going to hold it against you. You did me wrong, I'm not going to hold it against you. And the great news is that that is what God does for us. He extends us forgiveness through Christ. And because of that forgiveness, we can experience friendship with God. We can experience friendship with Christ. John chapter 15, verse 15, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is speaking this to his disciples. So if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple, Jesus calls you a friend. Now, at this point, we need to stop and ask a question. Am I a friend of God? Or am I an enemy of God? Am I someone who knows God and relates to God through Christ Jesus, well, then you can know that you're a friend of God. But if you don't know and relate to God, to the Father, to the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, through the Son, through Christ, then you're not a friend of God. John 3, 36, it actually warns us that if you're not a friend of God, you're still under that condemnation. Says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This is why, this is why in verse 20, Paul says, he's the author of this book, 2 Corinthians, he says, We implore you, we implore you, please, please be reconciled to God. So we're not to live in a state of sin. We're not to live in a state of unrepentance, of not dealing with the ways that we disobey God. We're to, we're to escape God's wrath by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and then coming into friendship with God. And I want to implore you, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, if you can't say, you know, Christ has saved me from God's wrath, I implore you. Deal with this. Deal with your own condemnation. And that's like, that's like, a, like who likes to think about that? <laughs> no one likes to think about, oh, I am under God's wrath unless I have a relationship with Christ Jesus. I know I don't like to think about that, but we are, and that's what the scriptures say. So let's deal with it because God has provided the most gracious pathway forward. He has provided a pathway through his son, through the cross. He has taken the condemnation on ourself, but there is something that we're called to do. We're called to put our faith in Christ to receive this as a gift. So what is reconciliation with God? Well, it's the removal of God's wrath, and it's the gift of God's friendship. We get this through Christ Jesus. We get this through forgiveness. Now, it's because of this reconciliation with God that we experience this vertical reconciliation, the creator of the universe, that we can then experience reconciliation with the created universe, <laughs> with those around us, with those on the horizontal plane, with people in our lives that have hurt us or that we have hurt them. We can experience forgiveness with them because, uh, because of what God has done, dealing with our sin, and then following the model that God gives us. 
And I truly believe that God does lay down a model uh, through what we're seeing in this passage for our forgiveness, our reconciliation with others. And to introduce this this concept, I want to tell you a brief story from Ken Sandy. So he's this author. This is from his book, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. It's slightly different. It's a, a shorter version. But he tells the story of a man struggling to forgive his wife after adultery. He says this, I just can't get over Pam's adultery, Rick told me. She says she's sorry and she's begged for forgiveness. And I said, I forgave her, but I can't forget what she did or be close to her again. It's a huge wall between us and I can't get through it. I'm sure you're both in terrible pain, I said, but I don't think divorce is going to end it. You'll just trade one kind of pain for another. There is a way to keep your marriage together and to truly put the past behind you, but you won't find it with the empty kind of forgiveness you've offered Pam. What do you mean, empty kind of forgiveness? Rick, imagine that you have just confessed a serious sin to God. And for the first time in your life, he spoke to you audibly. He says, I forgive you, Rick, but I can never be close to you again. How would you feel? His eyes widened. I guess I'd I'd feel like God hadn't really forgiven me. But isn't that exactly what you're doing with Pam, I asked. Rick looked at the floor, wrestling for an answer. I continued, imagine instead that God said, Rick, I forgive you. I promise I will never think about your sin again. I promise to never bring it up. I promise to never use it against you. I promise not to talk to others about it. And I promise not to let this sin stand between us or hinder our relationship. After a long silence, tears began to fill in Rick's eyes. He said, I know I was, I would know I was completely forgiven. That's the kind of reconciliation we experience with God. And God calls us to extend genuine and authentic reconciliation and forgiveness to others. So that leads me to our second question. What is reconciliation with others? Verse 20 urges us to become ambassadors for Christ. In the ancient world, an ambassador was someone who traveled around to foreign countries. So in our world, ambassadors kind of set up shop in a, in a specific country, but ambassadors could travel around to different countries as, as representatives of kings, of emperors, of ruling bodies. And they spoke in those foreign countries to the people, to the, to the kings. I wasn't going to mention it, but Andy brought up the story of the prodigal son just in the service. The word ambassador is the word presbuo. Presbuo it can be translated as ambassador, but if you look at the root of the word, it can also be translated as elder. It's an older. Now, we learned the story of the prodigal son, and Tim Keller, in a message that he gives, explains that the older brother, the elder brother, In that culture, it was his job to restore the broken family. So the the younger son leaves. See, the older brother should be the ambassador, right? The ambassador that goes to a foreign country to rescue his little brother. See, we're called as followers of Jesus to be elder brothers. We're called to be ambassadors, 
to go into what feels sometimes like a foreign country, to situations that are difficult that we don't like, even going out in, into cities and sharing the message of Christ, sharing the message of reconciliation, of healing. Bernie uh, preached a, a message on forgiveness a couple weeks ago, and, and Bernie really focused on the types of people we should forgive. And one of the points, and I hope I, I get it right, Bernie, uh, is that when we show and demonstrate genuine forgiveness for others, that becomes a pathway for others coming to know the reconciliation of God, coming to know the forgiveness of God. When they taste genuine forgiveness from us, that becomes a way where they can taste genuine forgiveness from God. When we forgive others and when we offer reconciliation to others, we are offering them a taste of God's forgiveness, of what they can experience through a relationship with Christ. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors of forgiveness. We're to, we're to take this message to lost sons and daughters. So let's look at what it means for us to, to, to share this message of reconciliation. What is it? Well, it's the removal of our anger through forgiveness. Just like it's the removal of God's wrath, it's the removal of our anger, of our right to be mad, of our, our right to get upset about the situation over and over again. We can't continue in a state of anger if we're going to forgive, if we're going to move on in a, in a healthy, God-honoring way. I want us to look at the foundation verse together. Would you guys say this with me? Uh, just reciting it for the third time the service. I'm not going to remove any words so you can, you can read the whole thing. But let's just say our foundation verse together. You ready? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. You did it great that time. I've been struggling with this one too. I've took it home and I put it on my mirror and I'm like trying to get it. That line, it says, if anyone has a grievance against someone, you're, you're to forgive the word grievance means the word complain, to, to keep bringing it up. Instead of complaining about those who hurt us, God calls us to forgive them, to let go of our anger, to forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a serious call. This is a serious commandment. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, so this is the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's explaining what God expects of us. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, this is one of the toughest verses that I wrestle with. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Jesus puts it out there and lets us wrestle with it. I do believe forgiveness is a fruit. In other words, it's something that grows inside of us towards others when we have tasted the fruit of forgiveness from God. So when I have been forgiven for my sins, it makes me want to forgive others. It makes me want to cultivate 
a life of forgiveness. See, forgiveness is, is a call to extend that same debt cancellation. See, when someone wrongs you, well, you deserve payment, don't you? Payment in the forms of, you know, I can get back at you, I can hurt you, I can, I can say mean things to you or about you, I can treat you a certain way. Those are all ways that we exact payment for a sin. Forgiveness is canceling the debt, not holding it against someone. It's a decision to say, God's wrath is enough. (laughs) I don't need to pour out my wrath. I don't need to pour out my anger. God's anger is enough. Now, in his book, Ken Sandy, he describes forgiveness even further. The four kind of promises of forgiveness. And they're all modeled on God's forgiveness for us. And I want us to work through these because, man, they're challenging and they help us understand what it means to truly forgive someone and what that looks like in in practical, everyday terms. So the four promises begin with number one. I will not dwell on this incident. Promising to say, I will not dwell on this incident. Quoting Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. So God here is saying, I remember your sins no more. Now, does that mean God somehow forgot what we did? Isn't he all-knowing? Doesn't he know everything? Well, yes, he does. But God chooses not to recall those sins against us, not to recall those to mind when interacting with us. So when we say, I will not dwell on the incident, we're, we're saying, you know what, as part of forgiveness, I'm, I'm going to choose not to, remember, maybe I'll try to forget, but I, I'm going to choose not to roll it over and over and over again in my mind, like one of those rock tumblers. Like, I don't want this to become a precious gem. I don't want this incident, this hurt, to become something that I value, that just gets polished and polished. I want to take it out of the, 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 the gym machine, and I want to throw it away. I want to choose not to press the on button. And that's really hard, right? That's really addicting. When I get hurt, I, just, I think about it over and over, and it's like this, this pathway in your mind, this pathway in your brain. There's two ways you can deal with that. You can ask a friend. You can have an accountability partner and say, you know what, I'm really struggling. Would you pray for me in this issue? The second one is just to ask God, God, would you help me? Ask the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural thing. Forgiveness is a supernatural thing. Let's ask God for help. Promise number two, I will not bring up this incident against you and again and use it against you. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 5 describes love for us. Uh, one of our core values is love as a community. So we can say, you know, forgiveness really is one of our core values. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. Forgiveness keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't write down your, your sin in the ledger book. You ever seen that in like a TV show or something where there's a character who writes down everything the other character did wrong and then brings it back out? I've been tempted to do that. Forgiveness doesn't do that. Forgiveness presses delete. Says, all right, I'm, I'm gonna choose to not put this in my back pocket and save it for a rainy day 
when you know, I need to get after them for something. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put it in my pocket. Now, this does not mean, as a point of clarification, this does not mean that we can never discuss the sin after we've forgiven them. Because if it happens again, well, we can discuss, you know, there's a pattern here. There's a reoccurring sin pattern. But that's different than saying, aha, you've done it again. No, the, the, the purpose, the goal is glorifying God. It's restoration, right? And that's challenging for me because when people sin against me, I want to keep it in my back pocket. Christ had to die for sins in back pockets. Christ died to take those sins out and wipe them away, wash them away. Do you ever do that? Do you ever kind of recall to mind, hold people's sins against them? That becomes your sin. (laughs) Number four, or number three, I will not talk about this incident with others. I will not talk to others about this incident. I quoted this before from memory, but I wanted to share it with you exactly. Paul Tripp, he's a pastor, he's an author, and he describes kind of what gossip is. He says, when I gossip, I confess the sin of another person to someone who is not involved. It's like the the public proclamation of someone else's sins. Forgiveness doesn't gossip. Forgiveness doesn't doesn't kind of make this sin become church-wide news or community-wide news or wide news or or whatever circle you're in, your coworkers, your family. When we gossip, when we when we share the incident with others, we just we just tear down. We hurt the church, we hurt the bride of Jesus. We hurt each other. Who do you need to make a commitment about to not talk about them to others. If there's someone that you wrestle with, you like to talk about them, then you need to make a commitment with the Lord. God, help me, help me work on this issue. And as a, as a family, we can help each other, right? If we notice someone else doing it, just say, hey, you know, let's not. Let's, let's, let's try to fight this sin pattern in our lives. Because it's, it's so tempting, God, God's gracious. He wants to work the change from the inside out, dealing with our sins. The good news is, when you, even if you've forgiven someone, you've forgiven that name on your heart, and you've worked through the process, you can tell God all about it. <laughs> he doesn't put a limit on what you tell to him. Confess it to him. The fourth promise is, is I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. This promise really gets down to the heart of the matter. When we forgive, we promise to not let the sin rule our relationship. We want Christ to rule our relationships, right? We don't want sin to rule our relationship, and we're making a commitment to that. That's what forgiveness is. Now, all four of these promises, one, two, three, and four, we make them not in our own power. It's impossible to hold to these in my own strength because I'm sinful, right? Because I disobey, because I like it. This is why we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and help us forgive. Luke 17, three says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. 
Now, Ken, there was only one point I, I sort of disagreed about in his book, and it made the point that, well, you only have to forgive if they forgive you. And maybe I misread it, so let's give him grace. There is a tension, I think, that we see in the scriptures, right? If they repent, forgive them. But then Matthew, didn't it just say, well, you have to forgive or God won't forgive you. See, I think God says you have to forgive. Like, as Christians, we're called to forgive in our hearts. And yet, we shouldn't, step, we shouldn't skip over true restoration. We shouldn't skip over not dealing with the conflict and going straight to forgiveness. We need to experience genuine reconciliation, which can only happen if sin is addressed, right? Repentance comes before reconciliation. So I think there's kind of two parts to it, and it goes back to this give and take. I have, I have, I have removed my anger, and I've, I've given you forgiveness, but there needs to be some boundaries, perhaps, until you've repented, and this comes to our second part, the gift of our friendship. So what is reconciliation with others? It's the removal of our anger, but it's also the gift of our friendship. So this gift of trust needs to come, but it, it needs to come after repentance, right? It needs to come after that recognition of sin. Now, I honestly believe that if you have gone through conflict with someone, like you can actually have a deeper relationship with them afterward than before. And I think this is true just because that's what we see in marriage all the time, right? Uh, I get in conflict with Monica on occasion, but I actually think that draws us to a deeper relationship, to a deeper trust, and to a deeper love when we confess our sins and say, this is how I blew it. This is how I did it wrong, and I'm sorry. And we can experience that same, just like mutual love in this place as a church family. Maybe you're thinking, well, it's not possible. <laughs> like that person has so hurt me, like we'll be friends in heaven, <laughs> but we're not gonna be friends in this life. Second Corinthians has an answer to that. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That means that in some mysterious way, eternity is breaking in to this reality through Christ Jesus. And I believe that means that we can experience a taste of that heavenly friendship in this life. We won't get it in its fullness. We're still sinful. We still wrestle with our sins. But we can begin to experience that impossible grace that only eternity has in this life through Jesus, through forgiving each other in him. And how do we do that? Well, it all comes down to verse 21. Verse 21 is one of the, the most significant verses in the scriptures. And it's certainly one that's dear to my heart, and we'll memorize it as a foundation verse at some point, but if you want to get ahead of the game, you can start memorizing it now. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, what does that mean? That's a little bit confusing. Well, this is the gospel. See, we can experience reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other because of the gospel. Let's break it down. God made him who had no sin. Who had no sin? Only Jesus. Jesus didn't have any sin to be sin for us. Well, Jesus didn't become a sinner. He took on the full weight of sin on, on his shoulders, on his, on his person, 
He took the judgment we deserve. See, God on the cross, when he poured out his wrath, uh, I think I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur, and he described it, that Jesus, he suffered as if he was being punished for every sin from all times and all places on the cross. That's the immense wrath of God that he was experiencing, the immense anger of God. Now, this doesn't mean that now everyone can be saved. You still have to trust in Christ, absolutely. But that's how severe the punishment was. Jesus dealt with the maximum penalty for sin on the cross. My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The innocent one became sin for us. My sin, your sin, if you know Christ. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a, there's a take and there's a give. He takes our sin. He takes the wrath. He gives us the righteousness of God. He gives us the holiness of God. I don't go just to zero. I go to a thousand. I go to a million. I am holy. I am pure. I, am, I, I, I have unlimited righteousness in Jesus. That's how God views me. Now, I, I no longer need to be forgiven because I've been forgiven, right? I've been forgiven for everything. I am spotless in Christ. That's how God views me. Look at how much Christ has done for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christianity. My final kind of closing point is that when we, rec- we reconcile to others through forgiveness and friendship, and it's in Christ, It's only through the gospel that we can experience this true reconciliation. If there is someone in your life that, and you struggle with, that you want to experience reconciliation with, it's possible. It truly is possible because of Jesus, because of the cross. We can forgive each other through the gospel. We can, through the gospel, see each other as holy, as righteousness. If God took my wrath and placed it on Jesus, then he's also taken the wrath of the person that hurt me. He's taken the wrath of the person that I am in conflict with and he has also placed it on Christ. But he has also invited me into friendship and them into friendship. And so we extend that to others. I want to close uh, with this, this, this final story from the book. Sandy writes about Ernest Gordon. And he wrote a book called To End All Wars. And he describes a moment of forgiveness, a moment of reconciliation. Gordon was captured by the Japanese during World War II and forced with other British prisoners to endure years of horrible treatment while building the notorious Railroad of Death through Thailand. Faced with starvation and disease of the prison camps and the brutality of his captors who killed hundreds of his comrades, Gordon survived to become an inspiring example of the triumph of Christian love against human evil. This love shone especially bright one day when Gordon and his fellow prisoners came upon a trainload of wounded Japanese soldiers who were being transported to Bangkok. Here is how Gordon describes God's work of grace. So this is Gordon's words here. They, Japanese soldiers, were on their own and without medical care. Their uniforms were encrusted with mud, blood, and excrement. Their wounds, sorely inflamed and full of pus, crawled with maggots. We could understand now why the Japanese were so cruel to their prisoners. If they didn't care for their own, why should they care for us? The wounded men looked at us forlornly, and they sat with their heads resting against the carriages, waiting fatalistically for death. They were, refuse, they were the refuse of war. There was nowhere to go and no one to care for them. 
Without a word, most of the officers in my section unbuckled their packs, took out part of their rations and a rag or two, and with water canteens in their hands, went over to the Japanese train to help them. Our guards tried to prevent us, but we ignored them and knelt by the side of the enemy to give them food and water, to clean and bind up their wounds, to smile and say a kind word. Grateful cries of Arigato, thank you, followed us when we left. I regarded my comrades with wonder. Eighteen months ago, they would have joined readily in the destruction of our captors had they fallen into their hands. Now these same men were dressing the enemy's wounds. We had experienced a moment of grace. There in those blood-stained railway cars, God had broken through the barriers of our prejudice and had given us the will to obey his command, thou shalt love. We reconcile with others through forgiveness and friendship in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son. Thank you for pouring out your anger on him so that we can experience friendship with you through Christ. We love Christ. We're so grateful for Christ. Would everyone in this room know him? Lord, we, we lift up the rest of the service. We lift up the announcements and the, and the offering. Would they, would they glorify you? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.